The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast, something of a bonus episode. We are heading to Spain today, to La Liga, where FC Barcelona have been crowned champions. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Michael Cox, with Liam Tharm and with John Muller of The Athletic to talk tactics and for them to tell me the story of how Barca won La Liga. And John, it's, it's significant for a number of reasons. Uh, historically, tactically, we've got loads to talk about. It also strikes me that there'll be people listening who maybe don't follow La Liga that closely, who may roll their eyes and think, well, Barca win loads of La Liga titles. This one doesn't seem particularly special. And yet, it's their first since 1819. Been some very well-publicised issues at the club over the last year or two. I'm sure this will not be seen as an insignificant title for Barca fans. Yeah, I don't think Xavi was blowing smoke when he said that if they win La Liga this season, it will have been a good season. I think that a lot of Barcelona fans will be very happy with that return to prominence in La Liga. And, you know, Europe can come down the line. But they pushed a lot of chips into the middle of the table last summer, rebuilding the squad, uh, you know, mortgaging revenue streams for decades so that they could have a competitive team. And in some ways, they've accomplished that. They're back in the European elite even if they aren't uh, competing in the Champions League right now. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the wider context of La Liga and the strength of other rival teams in La Liga at this time, to what extent can we say this is a, a strong La Liga renewal that Barca will finish at the top of? Or, you know, that there's always a context of the other teams that you're vying for the title for. Is it a, a weaker version of La Liga in terms of title rivals? Well, I think that Atleti has had a rough season uh, and they did win the title two years ago. So that's one of the rivals out of the picture. Real Madrid haven't been particularly strong in the league uh, for the last you know five years, but they have won two leagues in that time just because Barcelona have also been struggling. So I think that really both teams are kind of on the upswing right now, uh, but Barcelona have just gotten there a little bit faster. Michael, is there a bit of a Carlo Ancelotti second or third season things standard sometimes drop off a little bit in the league? Is that a, a bit of a thread throughout his career? The sort of happy, fun cigar-smoking uncle vibes, wearing a little bit thin on the training field sometimes? I mean, uh, yeah, I would say in general, he just doesn't win as many league titles as you'd expect, really, considering he's always in charge of a big club. Great success in the Champions League, but he won one at Milan, one at Chelsea, one at PSG, one at Bayern. You know, he doesn't tend to win multiple league titles. So, uh, yeah, maybe that does come into it as well. Uh, Liam, what, what do the numbers, what do the stats tell us about this Barca title and how, and how strong they've been this season in La Liga? Yeah, the underlying stuff isn't um, quite as strong, but that's not going to be. I don't think any team can um, genuinely limit the chances they're conceding. When you look at their goals against, they've conceded just nine goals in the league all season, which is absolutely mental. Um, and that's down to really, I think, a lot of it is is quite good pressing from the front. They press really well out of a four two three one, um, which we don't I think associate with Lewandowski too much about being that uh, number nine to, to press heavily. But they've set quite good traps centrally and sort of baited teams really into playing these passes quite well. There was a great one against Real in, in the Super Cup um, for I think the first or second goal where they forced these turnovers and can attack quickly because of course they face sort of low blocks a lot. But Tostegan has come on a real um, real upward trajectory from you know a goalkeeper that was in real poor form last season. Um, you look at his post-shot XG numbers, they've really gone on this exponential growth. I think he's uh, prevented about four additional goals this season. So they've sort of had match winners at both ends of the pitch. Lewandowski set goal scoring records at the start of the season and sort of his first nine, 10 games, I I think he scored an awful lot. Only Ronaldo could sort of um, better that in early into uh, a La Liga career. So they're running hot, but they're still top of the the pile when you look at XGA. So it's not 
quite sustainable, but they're still really, really good is sort of the, the, the broader stroke point. That's right. Their defending hasn't been historically good when you look at the data, but it has been good compared to other teams in Europe right now. You know, they still have the third best expected goal difference uh, in the top five leagues. They have the third best goal difference per game in the top five leagues, third highest rank in 538's team strength model. They are a legitimately good team, even if they're not the best defense that, you know, Europe has ever seen. And yet, Michael, nine goals conceded in 28 league games. That is an absolutely astounding record. I genuinely can't remember a better defensive record than that in in the Premier League, obviously Chelsea under Mourinho hold the record. In La Liga, I believe Atleti 15-16 hold the record. 18 goals conceded in a season. You'd back Barca to beat that. It's an unbelievable achievement. Yeah, and uh, as we're recording, only two conceded at home all season. I think one a penalty and the other was a rebound or something slightly fortunate. Yeah, you look at the underlying numbers, obviously that doesn't match up to, to what the reality has been. But it's been impossible for teams to score at the... Uh, the new camp, so it's not very convenient. They are about to leave the new camp for for next season. See how that affects Testegan's shot stopping. Um, and how does this team rank? Do we think uh, against some of the the best Barca teams of the last decade, Liam? We're obviously recording this slightly ahead of when they've won it, but um, they've got a chance to go and sort of break the record if they have a, a perfect end to the season and win their final ten games. There's the the jointly held Centurions record they've got with Real, but. I think you look back and you look at just how consistently dominant they were in terms of constantly getting over that 90-point threshold. They had 99 points in 2009-10. You follow the seasons on from that, it goes 96, 91, 100, 94, 91, 90. Um, and the last time they broke at 93 points was in 2017, 2018. So you look at how consistently good they were for that period of time and they're now sort of reaching back up to that again. Of course, the big question will be how well can they sustain this when they possibly go through some drop-offs and some regression from what we've seen this season. We'll see where their sort of more broader points um, might come out at. But really, really good, I think, is the is the short answer. I think the context for comparison has, has not got to be the, the previous title winners. I think it's got to be where they were maybe 10 games into last season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth remembering how severe people were talking about their situation. I mean, Koeman had them seventh or eighth. They lost Messi. The financial problems were considered so serious that people were talking about, you know, a La Liga going to expel them from the league. I mean, for them to be title winners this season, I think is really impressive. They're they're absolutely not an all-time great Barcelona side. They haven't fared well in European competition. But I do think it's really impressive, actually, the fact that they are champions. I think that's really, really quite a remarkable situation, quite a remarkable turnaround from last year. Yeah, there's no question that they're a much better team than they were last season. I think there's probably also no question that they're not as good as the great Barcelona sides, even though their points and, and goal difference might be back up in kind of where they were about five years ago, which is a great return you know, for them. If you look at Club Elo, which measures uh, kind of the quality of the teams that they're playing, they're really still at kind of a low ebb compared to the last decade. And I think it's worth pointing out as well. I mean, we can kind of talk about the strength of respective leagues all the time. I think we all know the Premier League at the moment is just slightly obscenely dominant. But compared to even when Guardiola was there, there just aren't that many good sides in La Liga. I mean, you look at the quality of, you know, the traditional teams who could challenge for the top four. Uh, Valencia, as we speak, are in the relegation zone. Sevilla in the bottom half. Atleti are still third, but have dropped off massively from last season. I just don't think they're getting tested as often as, yeah, even five, six years ago. It was difficult to go away from home a lot at these clubs, but there seem to be more minnows now and, and just two or three big sharks. This is quite a young Barca team as well. I think we, we need to remember they've got the third youngest team in the league of the season, and that's with two of their top players from minutes play oh. being Testegen, um, who's 30, and Lewandowski, who's 34. So there's God, a real... Testegen's 30 already? Yeah. I feel yeah. old. 
there's years to grow for this Barca team. This isn't a, what we might see in other teams around Europe where there's players already at their peak. You go, okay, this is a, a team that has maybe got sort of four, five, six years and similarly Xavi's fairly early in his sort of coaching career. So, you know, not saying that this is the level that they should then aspire to be at all the time and, and go above it, but you'd expect there to be maybe off the pitch less so, but on the pitch some long-term sustainability to this. Let's talk about the style. Let's talk about the tactics of Xavi's Barcelona. Is Xavi's Barcelona a team that implement a classically Barcelona style of play? Is Xavi a, an idealist when it comes to Barca DNA? Yeah, I think when he was a player, he was regarded as a, a real purist. He he spoke really quite beautifully at times about the game and how much he valued possession football and playing football the right way. I think you can still see that. They still play good football. This is a side that has Busquets and Frankie de Jong and Gavi and Pedri and a lot of players who are very Barcelona. But I think in reality, most managers are probably a bit more pragmatic than they come across in interviews. And uh, I think when you're at Barcelona, when there's that kind of insatiable desire for success, especially after a few years without it, yeah, sometimes you have to be a little bit more uh, clinical. And uh, it's not as as beautiful a Barcelona as I think Xavi would create with better players. But you look at the quality of players and it's a relatively modest team, I think. So I think considering that the, the players at his disposal, they play pretty good, pretty watchable football. Yeah. And to the extent that Xavi is an idealist, I think that it's as much about the principles of positional play as you know, having players who play like Xavi and Iniesta or, or Busquets or Messi or Dani Alves. Like, the, the players that they had back then were special. And when you don't have those special players, you have to, as we've seen Pep Guardiola do, uh, develop different tactics to achieve the same goals. And Xavi is very clearly uh, cribbing notes from Guardiola, from Arteta. You know, all, all those teams are playing similar styles of positional play. And so while it doesn't look like the great Barcelonas of the past, it does look like the best teams of the current era. Uh, and so... You know, we, we do have some kind of ways that we can measure the difference between this team and the past. Uh, Barcelona, especially this season, are playing a lot more long balls than they used to. Uh, they, Especially last season, they played a lot of crosses into the box, which has never been a big feature of Barcelona's play. Uh, in terms of tiki-taka, there was a great paper about a decade ago that measured pass motifs. Uh, and they found that Barcelona was unique in the patterns uh, that players used passing the ball to one player, back to the first player, onto a third player. Uh, they did that more than anybody else in Europe. And now they're not unique in that way. Uh, and so they are in some ways kind of a more direct team, but they're still accomplishing the goal of moving the team together as a unit, using the wide wingers to slow play down like uh, Manchester City does, and then counter-pressing very effectively to keep the ball in the opponent's half. I think there's a fairly big argument that that's the best method when you look at the number nine and Robert Lewandowski, that that's the sort of approach behind him that suited him at other previous clubs and he's continued to score goals at a real remarkable rate. I think it's notable that Barca, across Europe's top five leagues, they only rank 10th for goals scored, so they're not quite blowing teams away um, like others are, but they're still playing really stylishly. They've had a record number of 1-0 wins um, in the league of the season and they're on track to really break Deportivo's uh, clean sheet record. So they've got 21 clean sheets, um, of course, which feeds back on to the point about how good they've been defensively and um, I think that's just generally an under underappreciated side of the game, um, at least from a possession team of using possession as a defensive tool to to keep the ball, to circulate it, to tire out opponents. Um, and I know that they've spoken about, um, you know, lacking a uh, clinical edge at times in front of goal and maybe being reliant on Lewandowski. But I think that's a real strength to this team. And I think people can't always see it as valuable if it doesn't directly lead to goals, but it's working for them. Yeah, it feels like a massive reflection of 
a quality start to a managerial career for for Xavi. You know, pragmatism isn't a very sexy word, and it would be much nicer. It'd be a, it would feel nicer if it all looked very Barca twenty ten and tiki taka, for want of a better phrase. But to judge him as a manager, you have to take into account player quality, squad quality, situation off the field. It's about managing not just the tactics on a football pitch, Michael, but so much else as well. And and ultimately, it's about picking up results, getting the best out of what you have at your disposal. It feels like on that front, you know, so far, very, very good for Xavi. And he's also developing a couple of young players, Pedro and Gavi, I think have been really impressed this season. I mean, obviously, technically magnificent. The first time you see them, you, you realise how good they are. But They've they've developed into yeah pretty consistent players. They've been versatile. They've played different roles. So yeah, altogether, I think he's done a pretty good job in in fairly difficult circumstances. Alejandro Balde as well is another young player who's really come along this season and notably has replaced Jordi Alba, who was a tremendous player for the last decade for Barcelona. And I think that's a delicate transition to manage. Uh, you know, we have to remember that Xavi got, if not a whole new squad, at least half a new squad this season and. You know, a lot of the, the signings have been good. Some of the signings have been not so good because that's what ha- what happens when you sign half a new squad. And so to manage all of that turnover and to manage, you know, kind of phasing out Gerard Piquet, phasing out Jordi Alba, maybe, you know, eventually Sergio Busquets. Like there's a lot of transitions that he's having to to deal with. He dealt with the Frankie de Jong drama last summer very well, I thought, and has brought him back into the fold as a, as a key player this season. So, yeah, in, in man-manager terms, he's done a great job. Yeah, I think Balde has been one of the most impressive players and he's he's so important for playing that role because of, you know, how Barcelona play in terms of width. You know, the right winger holds the width near the touchline. The left back is the one. Balde is the one who pushes up. He's almost like a left back, a left midfielder, and a left attacker at the same time. And that's allowed Javi to do some interesting things in the left wing position. I mean, Gavi's played there. Pedri's played there. Uh, Torres has played there. Ansu Fati's played there. It's been quite varied in terms of who has actually played as the left winger but the key thing is they're not really having to play as the left winger and uh, yeah he's been really impressive he's someone who's almost come out of nowhere I think he started two games last season Uh, he's kind of job shared a little bit with Jordi Alba who's still knocking around and playing I think about a third of the minutes but he's been absolutely excellent you know he's got the pace and the stamina but he's also really good technically really good on the ball as well well he is a Spain regular already and I think probably will be for a number of years We did an episode not long ago about the evolution of Pep Guardiola's tactics, Barca, Bayern, City, and all the different versions of those teams with him in charge. The phrase Pep Disciple is used quite a lot at the moment about Mikel Arteta, about Vincent Kompany. And when it comes to Xavi, Michael, to what extent is the phrase Pep Disciple seemingly accurate when discussing his football philosophy or where might it differ? I think it is relatively accurate, but it's funny when we talk about Xavi and being a pep disciple, it's almost like we want him to just hark back to what he learned when Guardiola was a manager there over a decade ago. Um, And actually Guardiola has won three titles in Germany since, four titles in England since. And so the, the Guardiola mold to be looking at now is the Guardiola of Manchester City. And I think that is a more apt comparison, really, in terms of the, the positional play and the, the formation structure. Of course, there's still an underlying sense of Barcelona, particularly with the likes of Pedri and Gavi and Busquets, of course, is still there. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's really difficult, I think, for any manager coming through to not have learned a lot from Guardiola. Obviously, Xavi has, has got, had a direct experience there. They played alongside each other uh, for a couple of years as well. But yeah, it's a, it's a more updated version of Guardiola than the 
the side Xavi played in? I'm also largely intrigued by players when they transition to being head coaches or managers and their sort of style as a player being sort of encapsulated within their team. So, of course, I know there's the links of, of uh, him and Guardiola both both being Catalan, of course, both being um, La, La Masia graduates and all their background there. But they're also two central midfielders that would have and did base their game largely on controlling possession um, around circulating the ball, around dominating teams, being that focal point within the team. And um, you see that really sort of borne out in terms of their style now. Their teams, you know, are quite close um, in terms of identity, even 10, 15 years on from when they were playing or at least playing at their peak to, um, you know, how they were as players. And I just think that's that's really interesting. And maybe there's other managers or coaches in the world where that doesn't quite happen, but this definitely does here. I think it's kind of funny that Barcelona fans have spent the last decade pining for Pep Guardiola as this like lost love. And now they've got a coach who's playing very similarly to the way that Pep Guardiola actually plays now. And they're upset because it doesn't look like what they remember. It doesn't look like what they, you know, have romantically longed for. I'd like to see a former Pep Guardiola player become a manager and just be a real heel in wrestling terms. Just, <laughs> just maybe it's, it's Zlatan, isn't it? It's going to be Zlatan. <laughs> um, well, the issue there is he won't give up playing. I mean, he's 41. 41 he's still playing for the national side. Player manager. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, as discussed, it's not been smooth sailing off the field. It's not been smooth sailing with a, a lot of player personnel questions and issues. I mean, there are still fans chanting for Messi. John, this is stuff that can undermine a manager, but Javi seems to be sort of sailing fairly serenely on top of it. I mean, who wouldn't chant for Messi? He's Messi. <laughs> Um, we'll see what happens in, in the summer with Messi, the Athletic, the best place to be for that sort of transfer info. Uh, let's talk about some of the, the key moments in, in the season where Barca have gone well, uh, starting in La Liga. Why don't we start with El Clasico? Michael, how's this fixture gone for them this season? Yeah, pretty well. But uh, I mean, first of all, I'd like to talk about the Clasico of last season. They came a distant second place last year, but when Xavi took over, they weren't even contention for the title. And what they did do was they went to the Bernabeu and won 4-0. And the Clásico is such a big thing in Spain and the league was a bit of a foregone conclusion that it almost slightly soured the, the league title success. Obviously, Real went on to win the Champions League as well, so it's not like they had a bad season. But it did hint that Barcelona were a coming force, even if actually one of the stars of that performance was Aubameyang, who wasn't around for this season. In the Clásico that kind of ended the title as a race, I think it was actually a very close game. Real really made inroads in the second half. I wrote an analysis piece basically saying that Danny Carvajal was the, the key player in the second half. He was pushing up so much. He very nearly created a winner that was ruled out for offside. And then Barcelona attacked into his space and scored the winner. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, a pretty momentous win for Barcelona. It pretty much sealed the title, I think, by the time that winner was scored. At the same time, we had a Clásico a week ago. The Real Madrid won 4-0 in the second leg of the Copa del Rey at the new Camp. So it's two years in a row where the side defeated in La Liga have won 4-0 away from home at the other side. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, a mixed bag in terms of Clásicos. I think it's worth pointing out that Barcelona have been a little bit unfortunate uh, that a lot of their key games this season have come during a period where they've been suffering a lot of injuries, especially Pedri. Uh, you know, he's the number one player where they just look like a totally different team when he's not around. And for him to miss those key games means we're not seeing Barcelona at their best. Didn't quite crack it in the Champions League this year. Far from not even quite cracking it. Yeah, they conceded in every Champions League group stage game. Um, I think... Anyone who watched the, uh, particularly the first leg of the Europa League tie against Manchester United were amazed at how it was simultaneously a very tactically in-depth game that turned into some moments of absolute chaos and, um, you know, just intertwined these really interesting uh, tactical adaptations from United and how they tried to play more direct, of course, trying to find solutions against what is a really, really good Barca defence a lot of the time. Um, 
But that game and the Inter game as well um, in the group stage at, at the new Camp where um, they just looked really, really vulnerable in transition, couldn't seem to defend vertical passes. Of course, they want to play with a high line and, and be aggressive uh, and intense. But I, I think it shows that, you know, there's sides of their game that need to be refined. I know it's it's been a stick that's, you know, Pep's been beaten with recently at City of not being a knockout style manager. Um, I don't necessarily think that's, that's the case at all. There doesn't seem to be too many significant inherent weaknesses. Um, they just need, yeah, need to improve that part of their game. Gabby and Lewandowski waiting in the middle. Easy for him. 2-0 Barcelona. Like shelling peas, that one. And Lewandowski now has his first ever goal in the Clasico. What about the stars in the squad and on the pitch for Barca this season? Michael Lewandowski joined in the summer, his debut season. How would you say that's gone for him at Barca? It's pretty clear that he's being missed at Bayern. Yeah, pretty well. He is... Barcelona's top goal scorer by a long way. I mean, Barcelona don't really have many other goal scorers or many consistent goal scorers in this team. He's also their top assister. So in that sense, maybe his has kind of replaced Messi in, in, in the sense that, yeah, almost everything goes through him. But yeah, he's he's just, a, I mean, he's a great focal point for the side. He's still a clinical finisher. I must say in a pure kind of aesthetic sense, I actually find Barcelona more interesting when he's not in the side because I think they have to find solutions in different ways. But yeah, he's a he's a kind of a plug and play striker. He's come in and he's done the job in uh, in a sense that I don't think many others in Europe could. Yeah, I agree with the aesthetic point. And even though Lewandowski has scored a lot of goals this season, the team as a whole is only scoring slightly more than when they had, you know, Memphis Depay and Aubameyang as their top scorers. So adding a world-class striker hasn't necessarily made the attack better. And I think that is for lack of a second goal scorer. Uh, you know, Rafinha and Dembele don't score a lot from the wings. Uh, Pedri is actually getting better at getting into the box and scoring goals, but he's never going to be, you know, a box-crashing midfielder. And they just don't really have that second scoring option. So in terms of conversations we've had about Holland and City and his goal-scoring numbers being amazing, but the team's goal-scoring numbers being broadly the same as they were when their top scorer was a, a, a midfield player in Gundogan uh, and, and others. When it comes to Barca, John and Lewandowski, would you be confident that were Lewandowski to miss a period of time, Xavi would be able to implement a style that could spread the goals across attacking midfield and wide areas, even without Lewandowski there? Or... Is it a case that actually the makeup of the squad does not lend itself to those guys stepping into the goal-scoring shoes, if you like? Like Michael, I would be curious to see how Xavi adapted. Uh, it's always interesting, but I would not be confident at all. <laughs> it always feels like this team is is clinging to a 1-0 win by the skin of their teeth with Lewandowski. And without him, you know, they're lucky to score at all. Their four games without Lewandowski in the league this season have all been 1-0 wins. Um, <laughs> just to prove that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Gavi and Pedri are some of the most exciting young players in the world. Uh, and Michael, it's it's very, very difficult not to bring up Xavi and Iniesta when talking about them. To what extent are they mini clones or their own players? Well, I think one interesting thing about them was I saw two Barcelona games within the space of two weeks. And in one of them, Pedri played left wing and Gavi was in central midfield. And in the next game, it was the other way around, which I found quite interesting. And also, uh, Xavi did has done something similar with uh, Araujo and Kunde at the back. Sometimes one of them's right back, sometimes the other's right back. Um, That's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. It is. It shows the tactical versatility of those players. Um, are they clones? I don't think they're quite clones, but I think they are. They're very classically Barcelona. Uh, they're both extremely good in tight situations. Uh, one thing I find interesting about Pedri is that he hasn't managed an assist this season. 
in La Liga. I know it's just a bit of a noisy stat, but I did find that quite interesting. Of course, um, Iniesta also famously never assisted players, right? Exactly, yeah. But I mean, John did a really good article on the differences between them, which was not just a kind of statistical thing, but also I think from memory more about their posture when they when they were in possession, which I thought was really good. Yeah, I think you can start from the point that Pedri sort of plays in a crouch and Gavi plays on the run, that Pedri plays within himself, on the ball, turning in tight spaces between the lines. Gavi is creating space by exploding outward, making these underlapping runs. There's a reason why Xavi has settled on Gavi as the more natural fit as that false winger, because he does occasionally explode up the wing like a winger would. Uh, but Pedri has been so good in the left half space that I think that's why we saw him initially try it in that role, just because when Baldi gets up the left wing, Pedri could tuck into his normal position. Uh, but because because they're kind of similar ages, similar roles, uh, both very technical players, both you know golden boys in back-to-back years, we think of them as being sort of clones of each other, if not of Xavi and Iniesta, and that's really not true. Pedri is more in the Xavi and Iniesta mold, and Gavi is something completely different. I sort of have this assumption that possibly because of the Xavi and Iniesta comparison that Pedri and Gavi will play for Barcelona forever and will dovetail beautifully forever. You know, in the current system of Barca, is that actually the case? Is there any suggestion that actually, unlike Xavi and Iniesta, the circumstances could be different for these two? I mean, inshallah, they'll play for Barcelona forever. I I would love to see that. I think that financial difficulties might uh, eventually lead to one or the other leaving. Uh, Gavi has, you know, had this whole drama all season about, uh, you know, he was registered, then he was unregistered. Now he might be available to leave the team on a free this summer. I don't think that he wants to do that, but you know, it's there's so much in flux with this Barcelona squad and their financial situation that we can't count on them being able to keep their best players like they traditionally have. Bit of uncertainty at the base of midfield as well. I talk about situations that are in flux. I mean, Sergio Busquets. Do we think there's a, a Busquets succession plan in place here, Liam? Yes and no. Um, I think there's very few midfielders ever, I think, that you can compare to the, the side of Busquets' ability to receive, turn um, and, and play passes and engage players. There's so many great YouTube videos that have 10, 15 minutes from doing this and it's a real art form to watch, I think. I think Frankie de Jong is a really talented sort of number four deep line midfielder who plays the role differently. Uh, I think he, he's very much um, and does the same internationally sort of drop deeper sort of between the centre-backs a lot more almost more like a quarterback I think he's got a more expansive range of passing and actually he's quite good in the final third I think as well at pick-locking a defence at times but um, is similarly sort of press resistant but in the same way we're saying that Gabby and Pedri, Pedri are different to the midfielders that come before them I don't think you're going to get a like for like replacement and you probably don't need that I think Xavi's going to be tactically smart enough to, to find ways around we've seen the box midfield this season where they've sort of adapted things more and I think that's just broadly the way that football is going uh, at the top end of that teams want more control more superiority in that midfield teams are prepared to give up wingers or play wing back systems where you don't have as much wide personnel so I don't think that single pivot role is something that will be necessary um, which might be beneficial for Barca in this regard Part of what makes Busquets such an effective single pivot is his positional sense, his discipline, his knowing always where to be at the right time at the right moment. And Frankie doesn't have that. Uh, you know, Eric Ten Hag compared him to a shark. He's always on the move, on or off the ball. He's just wandering around the pitch constantly. And you can't have that from a single defensive midfielder in a 4-3-3. And that's why he's more effective in a, a box midfield or some kind of double pivot where he can make his, you know, rampaging runs forward. Maybe he can even arrive in the box. We we talked about how Barcelona don't have a second goal threat. Honestly, Frankie de Jong is probably their best box arriving midfielder, but because so much of his other skill set works best at the base of midfield, 
that's really where he has tended to play this season. In terms of how and where they need to strengthen in the summer, you know, this isn't just a straight question of, you know, let's draw up some some desires for each position and let's draw up some shortlists of some names because we're FC Barcelona and we can buy who we want, right, John? Yeah, I don't know if they can strengthen in the summer, at least not by making big splashy signings like they've tried to do uh, for a lot of the recent past. I think that what we might see is more careful evaluation of the talent coming up through La Masia and seeing how can we fit these players into the squad. This is, I think, something that's more associated with teams down at the bottom end of the table with their sort of top talent. But given the youth of some of that squad and their you know, domestic and international pedigree, there's probably some players they need to hold on to as well there, especially given their financial situation that they might have to sell players or it's, I just assume, is uh, considered or seen from outside perspectives as a more unstable environment that if you can keep that top talent together, that can be nurtured, they can develop playing relationships. That's going to be really essential, I think, to you know, ensuring that this isn't then a one-off, that this is something that you can continue to build on and really sort of solidify and make this your sort of base level of performance. And if they could swing a return of Leo Messi, Michael, do you think they should? Just because you could doesn't mean that you should, right? What do you think uh, on this Messi back to Barca? Is there a place for him to fit in, in in their current team in this style? I mean, instinctively, I'm quite attracted to the idea um, and I think it's a relatively unique situation where two years ago, Messi didn't want to leave and Barcelona didn't want him to leave. And so to a certain extent, they'd just be correcting that, you know, unfortunate situation. I must say, when you draw up the team and work out where he will fit in, it's quite difficult to justify it, to be honest. Um, but I still think they'll be tempted. Uh, the finances, I think, probably mean it. It's not the best idea. I mean, as the guys allude to, the situations with Balde hasn't yet extended his contract and Gavi in theory uh, could be available on a free I think those things have got to be the, the priority you can't you can't lose a whole or half a title winning side just to bring back Messi it's just not worth it it's a difficult part of the conversation isn't it John because I'm I'm eager and I've really enjoyed hearing about the the job that Xavi's doing what the team looks like some of the quality players and particularly struck by how impressive a, a management job it is outside of the tactics that he's managed to rise above all of this. At the same time, I don't want to finish on too much of a negative note, you guys haven't necessarily persuaded me that this isn't still something of a sinking ship and with some big issues on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I think that they still have major question marks uh, and holes to fill in the squad, and it, I don't know if they have the money to do that. So it's going to be you know, a tightrope act for the foreseeable future, but I think that they've got a lot of bright young players and a competent manager and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, leadership that is on the right track. And do you think appreciation of Xavi from the fan base, from the important decision makers at the club, is is he kind of bulletproof because of the job that he's done so far? Or is there pressure on him, you know, despite the title win because they haven't been so great on the continent? I feel like there's a lot of discontent about the team's playing style, but because Xavi is so beloved in Barcelona and because the results are pretty good, even if the football isn't exactly what fans would like to see, uh, they're willing to give him a little bit of leeway to see where this team goes. I think there's going to be even more pressure when you look at Real's success um, over the past few years in, in Europe. Um, they've gone out in the quarterfinals five times Barca in the last 10 seasons of the Champions League. Um, their last finals when they won it in 2014-15. So there's always going to be clamour, I think, at that top level when you've got the the success that they have and, and the history that it's probably... 
unsatiable the desire for what what um they want but that's the sort of rod you make for your own back i think where you do have so much success is that people just then expect that as the minimum and I, you can't go above that you can't do more than it but you have to keep doing it all the time well and i think really the requirement next season is going to be success in europe yeah you know I, I think that if they're not in the champions league knockouts next season there's no coming back from that Barcelona, champions of La Liga 22-23. Plenty of questions still surrounding the club, uh, certainly off the field and even on the field as well. Xavi, uh, a title winner multiple times as a player, now as a manager as well. Their first title since the 2018-19 season. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. It's been brilliant to get the insight and the opinions of John Muller, of Michael Cox and of Liam Tharm. Plenty more where this has come from. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the feed and well, you can have literally days of fun listening to the back catalogue. In fact, we've been going for so long now. I dare say if you listen to them all back to back, upwards of a couple of weeks probably of listening content there. So uh, get involved in the back catalogue as well and sign up to The Athletic today at theathletic.com forward slash tactics where you'll find the best current sign up offer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next time on The Athletic Football Tactics Podcast. The Athletic. 